HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and Bobby Conforto, my mom, who's not here with me recording this intro, but she is here as always in spirit. Folks, well, what is there to say that hasn't already been said? Um stressful times stressful times uh as we speak i am recording this on wednesday evening uh november 4th i think the year is 2020 still somehow um really sending a lot of love and peaceful vibes um to everybody and i know that perhaps that sounds like just heady words but it's kind of what I can offer you right now is just really, um, warm, warm wishes, uh, that we all get through this next couple hours and days and months together. And that, uh, I don't know. It's just an unpredictable time and everyone's feeling stressed out and, uh, just wanted to basically let you know that we are too feeling stressed out and at times hopeful and at times scared and a myriad of emotions. Um, so wherever you're at, uh, and whatever your political leanings are, um, I'm sure that you're feeling weird. (laughs) So yeah, you're not alone in that weirdness. So today on the show, Bobby and I, uh, had recorded a listener letter episode a few weeks ago and we are thrilled to be able to share it with you today and it's always really cool to be able to get to just kind of chat with Bobby um 
you know, we get to chat with each other as mother and daughter all the time. But, uh, and as much as we, you know, the show is about speaking to other folks about their experiences with food and grief, I really look forward to the times where I get to just kind of talk to my mama um, because it's special. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode and we are sending love to you. And as always, if you would like to reach out to us to kind of vent or if you have a listener letter or if you'd like to be a guest of the show, please email us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. And please, uh, if you if you can, I know there's many more important things to focus on right now, but if you do have an extra minute, um, give our show a rating, a review, subscribe to it. It really helps so we can reach more people. And that is what we would like to do. Um, so yeah, and if you're liking the show, let us know. And if you want to see something else going on with the content, um, let us know that too. So we love you guys and thanks so much for tuning in and please enjoy Bobby and I chatting it up and reading a listener letter. Okay, bye. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bobby, how's it going? Hi, Zara. How are you today? I'm good. I just have a little bit of a sniffle. I was just outside, as I was telling Amanda when we uh, first logged on, and I'm having a little allergy attack, but worry not. I'm fine. Good. Good morning. Good morning to you, madame. So it's just us today, just us two gals chatting around like a bunch of old so-and-sos. That's nice. I I always love to have the opportunity to do that with you, Zaz. Yeah, we have a listener letter episode today. But first, let me just ask, what's your week been like? What have you been? What have you been cooking? What have you been making? Well, I haven't cooked much. I've I must admit, I feel I have a little bit of um, uh, COVID and politics burnout, and I notice yeah. that it makes me not be that interested in some of the things that I usually like to do. I can tell I'm burnt out because. I don't really care that much about cooking this week. Right, right, right. So that's where I'm at. But I let's see, I've made salmon, salmon tacos, which I've told you has been a special lately. That's your thing. You're the salmon yeah. taco queen. And I yesterday had the greatest lunch because you dropped off to me the most incredible savory babka. And I just loved it. I dreamt about it when I went to bed last night. It was really delicious. Sorry, you've been making babkas, chocolate babka. And this was one that had prosciutto and tomato and you have, actually you could talk about it better than <laughs> I but it was it was yummy it was great thank you yeah well I had never made babka before and then the Jewish holidays came up and there was a babka everywhere and I hadn't even really ever eaten much babka before let alone make it made it and uh so I tried my hand at it and I made a chocolate one I made a cinnamon like walnut one um, and then yesterday I tried making a savory one and it had, yeah, it was actually, you know, I posted something about it on my Instagram, but it looked very glamorous and like expensive to make. And I'm not saying that it was, it didn't have very lovely ingredients and stuff in it, but the thing was, it was actually just a bunch of stuff that was left in my refrigerator, <laughs> <laughs> left over from like <laughs> catering gigs and things I had to do. So I had right. made homemade cream cheese last week 
for you. I brought you fresh bagels and homemade cream cheese. And uh, I had some prosciutto left over from a catering thing I did. And I had uh, some and half an heirloom tomato. And I had some arugula kicking around in the bottom of my crisper. So I was like, you know what? These things all sound nice together. And I'm going to try making a savory babka, kind of a trafe babka, because <laughs> it had pork in it. <laughs> but um, anyway, mm. yeah, it was good. And it you said it kind of tasted like pizza rustica, which was something that dad's side of the family always used to make. Right, which is a rich egg dough, you know, egg yeah, bread yeah. dough with a savory filling, but it also it's. I knew that you had leftovers in it. Not that I could tell, but oh, it was. It's pro- an excuse. That's, that's what provincial food is. Provincial food is taking what's ever there, you know, and putting it together and with lots of love and care, and it turns out wonderful as if it has really expensive ingredients. When I used to work at the pizza place down in Northport, my first pizza place job of one of many. Um, the owner used to take the pizza slices at the end of the day that weren't sold and chop them all up into bits with the pizza cutter into these little tiny bits. And then he'd stuff that in a new crust and make a pinwheel and he'd call it stuffed yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I well, was I like, love- what is this man doing right now? I was like, why is he cutting the pizza into those small little bits? Well, I um, loved the, the, uh, the trafe, um, yesterday's, <laughs> babka. Yeah, it was really delicious. Trace babka. Good. I'm glad you liked it. It was. I found it in the garbage. Um, very nice. Good, yeah. But yeah, I've been yeah. making. I've been cooking a lot actually um, for a while now. I mean, I am a chef, as many of you know, but I am someone who never really cooked at home unless I had guests coming over until quarantine. And now, I could, also because I wasn't cooking professionally for a couple months there, and so I'm just like cooking for fun and now I do a lot of projects like I've been doing a lot of lacto fermentation I've been lacto fermenting basically everything I can get my hands on <laughs> cucumbers peppers all kinds of stuff cabbage that's so that's making great. sauerkraut making different bread doughs been making just all different kinds of projects making cream cheese and sour cream and butter and it's cool it's fun that's wonderful and I couldn't help when I was at the farm I picked up some Kirby cucumbers and mm. made a couple of batches of pickles and that's a lot of fun too i really enjoyed that yeah pickle it pickle it all well i've always said and for any of you single folks out there or non-single folks but i find myself being someone who loves the farmer's market and loves cooking and buying things and i constantly am finding myself with like tons of leftover food that i've not found a purpose for um and so i pickle it pickle it just a little bit um, so yeah, it's a good way to be able to buy things that you think are beautiful and cool and sometimes mm. still not use them on time and then not waste them. Mm. Nice. Anyway. And the other food highlight, I guess, was I was upstate last week and bought some Honeycrisp apples and I Ooh. really love Honeycrisp apples, but when they're new apples, they're tartar and crisper and they, oh my, they were the crispest thing I ever had. So that was nice. enjoyable too. Yeah. Um, I also had a really high class food experience that was just very, like, very elegant, very refined. Um, I bought some Trader Joe's peanut butter cups (laughs) for for a party that I did last week. And I've eaten a couple of them and they are very good, very smushy, salty peanut butter on the inside. Mm. Honestly, folks, get yourself to a Trader Joe's. This is this episode is not paid for by Trader Joe's, but it could be. Um, and shove some of those peanut butter cups in your mouth. And while you're at it, buy some Bombas. 
<laughs> right. This is an advertisement for Big Peanut. <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, Bamba, I think it's called Bamba, right, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, It's, a, it's an Israeli um, treat that they sell at Trader Joe's, and they are cheese puffs, but without the cheese, it's, and instead it's peanut butter. So it's like a peanut butter corn puff. Yeah, Unbelievably really addictive, fantastic. You can't take a long ride without having a bag of Bombas with you. Yeah, they're very, very tasty. Yeah. Lo- love a Bomba. So I must say, talking about food is making me feel better because I really have been having this this burnout, terrible feeling about everything, and I feel much better now. <laughs> Good. As long as there's Bombas, it doesn't really matter that the rest of the world is literally and metaphorically on fire. Right. Um, so today we're going to do a listener letter. We got um, an email from a listener named Beverly. And Beverly wrote us... Um, wrote us this following email and we thought, you know, after we read it, Bobby had some things that she wanted to talk about that were related to it from a psychological perspective. And I just thought this was a very touching note. Um, and so here, here goes. Dear Bobby and Zara, my sister turned me on to your podcast a few months ago and I'm so glad that she did. My daughter, 28, recently lost her fiance in a car accident. They were supposed to be married three months after his death, and naturally, she has been in deep grief ever since. I can't imagine the pain that she must be going through. As her mother, I too am grieving, not only for the loss of my beloved future son-in-law, but also for my baby, who I see slipping away from me and, and from the rest of her life. I understand that this is a wound that may never completely heal, but I am struggling as her mom to be okay with not being able to do anything to make her feel better. She lives close by to her stepfather and I, and I go to her apartment almost every day and try to bring her food. She usually won't eat, and I wish I could nourish her. I try and bring her I try and bring her her favorite things, but I also worry that there are so many things, food and otherwise, that could be triggering for her at this time. I wish I could help my baby. I know that this I know that time is key here, but I'm wondering if you have any other advice for me in this situation. Thank you for what you do. It has been very helpful for me during this time to be able to connect with other people dealing with grief. So many different stories, yet such a common thread. Survival. Sincerely, Beverly. Well, Beverly, you got me crying. (laughs) Oh, that was a very sweet very sweet and lovely email. Thank you, Beverly, for yeah. for sharing that. Mom, what do you think? What are some of your first impressions from that email? Well, my first impression is that of a mother. And I'm just, that's what brings so many tears right at this point. Because, you know, being a parent, you always try to fix things. You always try to make things better. Sometimes you don't do it well. Sometimes you try and and you try again. But it's very painful when somebody you love so much is hurting and you know that you can't do anything to make it any better and you want to fix them. You want to take their tears away. Like when you're a parent, you wipe away your kid's tears and you say, it's going to be okay. It'll be better. And I guess, you know, what Beverly's talking about is that this is something that you just don't fix. You know, it reminds me, I I think I've told the listeners before that I have in my office, I have a lot of signs and quotes and I've had hundreds of them for years. I've collected them. And one of the first ones I ever collected says, we do not cure grief. We create conditions to let the natural process unfold. Mm. And I used to use that in hospice. I would hand it out to all the families when they had somebody dying because 
you know, we so much want to fix things when it seems like it's broken. And um, we can't do that with grief. Mm. So it also reminds me, one of the other things that brought tears to my eyes is when um, you yourself lost your own dad a couple of years ago and you were at our home. And I remember the same feeling, the same exact thing that Beverly's talking about. You know, you you didn't want to eat. And I remember making chicken soup and doing everything I could and thinking that if you just ate, you know, and I knew this already because I had worked with families in hospice. I know that you can't change that. But I, even though with everything I knew as a professional, as a mother, I went into the role of trying to fix it. And mm. um and I knew at the time, we had talked about it afterwards, I knew at the time that it wasn't what you needed, but I couldn't stop myself. Right. So, so Beverly, I really understand what you're going through. Well, it's interesting to me is that, um, I don't know, we all have these like different motivations for what we do in life. You know what I mean? And some of them are conscious and some of them are not conscious. And I think sometimes about what people's instinct is to help one another when they're grieving, part of it, the surface and I think the dominating motivation and the one that we're really aware of is like I love you so I want to help you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yes I think underneath that and I know this is just my feeling um and I think it's extra strong for a parent is like it speaks to our own feelings of worthiness right so like if I can help this person then I am also worthy and if I can't help this person then I'm not you know what when I mean? you feel like, like a failure, because what you're saying is that if I can't help you feel better, then I must be failing. Right. And that, and I can imagine it's extra difficult in a parent-child relationship. Um, there's also the, the really honest fact that, you know, it's hard for us to have pleasure when people that we love are in, and especially when they're in close proximity to us or we depend on them in some way and they're in pain. You know, I think it can be a thing that's upsetting and hard when in couples, if, you know, one part member of the couple is either in grief or just going through a depression, it can, you know, it's, we have a short time in life and we have a desire as humans to be happy. So I think if, you know, particularly for me, I was living in your house and you saw me unhappy and depressed and sad and in grief and you wanted me to be happy, I think, again, first and foremost, because you care. Secondly, because it's validating to who you are as a person to be able to be helpful. And thirdly, because it's not, if we're going to be honest, it sucks to be around someone who's in depression and grief. It's not fun. You know what I mean? It just isn't. Whether or not we can tolerate it or learn to accept it, it's just, but it's not fun. And then you could take it even further to the concept of survivor guilt, which is Mm. where, you know, people feel an unbelievable guilt because they're not going through what the other person's going through in a way. Right. But that's not really Beverly's situation. You know, Beverly was telling us that she's feeling the loss of her son-in-law to be. So she's also grieving. Yeah. And she's losing her daughter, it feels like. I mean, exactly. you know, she's losing the, and it's like. I think, and you obviously know way more about this, but you're a parent, you want your kid's life to be good. You know, you you want their life to be good. And you see something happen and you're like, wow, this is really gonna fuck with them forever. This is gonna fuck them up forever. And whether or not, I mean, hopefully they heal and, and, and move forward in different ways, but it's, that never goes away. And you don't want that for your kid. They are forever changed. This is this is a tragedy that has forever changed the family. 
So obviously through the years of working with families, this is something that I've encountered many, many times. And um, as a matter of fact, one time I had a group of friends contact me. Um, their friend had had a, a horrific tragedy, which I won't get into the details of, obviously, but they all wanted to know how they could help their friend. So I think what we could really talk about today is how do you help someone who you love who's hurting? You know, what are the aspects that make a difference? So I have, I came across a book, actually a client recommended it to me. It's a very, the title's wonderful. It says, it's okay that you're not okay. And that's, that. you know, that's, it's perfect for this um, topic. It says meeting grief and loss in a culture that doesn't understand. So the basic concept of the book is that we are, as we often talk about on the show, a death denying culture. We're a grief denying culture. We don't talk about it. We're used to changing the subject or avoiding it. And it means that we haven't learned how to help each other through grief. We haven't really learned what another person needs in grief. So, um, you know, we think that we're supposed to fix the pain. But as I mentioned before, what we really want to do is tend to pain. Pain needs to be tended to, not erased or fixed or ignored or denied. Mm, that's an interesting concept just in the in the vernacular there. It's, uh, to tend, the word tend. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, um, I, so this is, this is the concept. And I think uh, you have had recently a loss of your dad and maybe... We could look at it from your perspective as a griever, you know, what you needed during that time. And I, who was somebody who just loved you and cared about you. And um, so it's very similar to the letter in a way that the the situation that happened with us. So maybe we could work at it from that front and that um, maybe you could tell me more and the listeners more what you needed during that grieving process. Because this was something where your dad, who was my ex-husband, died. So as much as I felt sadness for his death, it didn't affect me the way it affected you. And so it was a good example of, um, we had a different type of grief going on. And, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, people really just want to be in a way listened to when they're grieving. They want to know that there's space for them. They don't want to be judged. You know, many grievers feel judged. They feel like, um, people think they're crazy. They feel like, um, in a way, they have to um, defend their grief. They have to defend the right to grieve. Well, I think like the, it's it's funny. I don't know if this is a great analogy. I think I'm good with analogies, which I learned from you. But I just kind of thought of this one as you were saying that. I feel like it's almost like if you have if you're a waiter and you're carrying a tray and it's totally full of stuff and it looks like it's way too much stuff and it's crazy and it's kind of almost spilling over and everything and it's like someone comes up to you and they're like oh let me help you with that you know and you're like no don't touch it I know it looks like a lot but like I have it all just held the way I need it to be so like please don't touch it don't give me any suggestions if you look at the tray if we talk about it too much it might all fall apart you know what I mean and then there comes a point where you're ready to put it down and take the plates off but like you have to kind of come to that on your own and that's kind of what the first image that popped into my mind was well if we take that metaphor a little bit it's it's the it's your journey carrying that tray it's your path through the fire You know, it's that path through the fire carrying the tray that's overloaded that will eventually help you to heal inside. If you put it down too soon, if you ignore it, if you hand it to somebody else, you don't heal. Right. 
Well, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you have things to drop off. <laughs> you realize <laughs> that you're holding it for a reason. You can't hold it forever, but like you need to kind of do it and you have it in your mind the way you need to do it. You know what I mean? And people can make suggestions, but ultimately it is yours to put down. Yes, exactly. You know, Bessel van der Volk, who's a very well-known traumatologist, he's, uh, he's written incredible books. Um, the name rolls I'll off the tongue. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bessel van der Volk, my favorite. <laughs> he, said, he, he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score, which has to do with um, trauma and um, our body t- telling the story of what we need and what helps and what doesn't help. But anyway, he, he said that what people really need to do for others is to help to bolster their courage to be able to tolerate and to process and to face the pain. So all we're really doing is we're being a support to the other, to bolster them in whatever they need to do. And and people need to travel to the depths um, if that's where they feel. I mean, that's what's happening for them. It feels like, you know, it's, it's the end. Uh, it feels like the end which is the traveling into that end is the way you begin again. So, and I think for me, one of the things that I did is I studied Buddhism and Buddhist psychology, and it helped me a lot in the practice of mindfulness, because in the concept of Buddhism and mindfulness, they teach you how to expand your capacity to bear. So I love those words. That really helps explain it a lot, right? Because in Buddhism, you know, the concept is, is that pain is inevitable, that we know we're going to have pain. So it's not as if it's a surprise or it's going to happen in our life. So if it's going to happen, how are we going to make room for it? How are we going to make the space for it? So anyway, so talking about what, what friends do is that often, um, you know, we use platitudes, you know, and I do it myself. I could catch myself a million times saying, you know, um, Everything changes. It's not going to be this way forever. We often learn from things. There's a silver lining. You know, I find myself doing that because even with my clients who I, in all the experience I've had, I want to help sometimes take their pain away too. Yeah, but I think it's important to remember this one part of it though, which was the second tier thing I said, which is that we want to help take the pain away, right? And it's part of it is self It is validating to be like, I was the one who was able to help take your pain away. I got to, I did it. I'm useful. You know what I mean? Like you need, the world needs me. You need me. And I think it's important to try to notice when that feeling, you know, to to investigate when someone is in grief or someone is going through a problem. Uh, I'm not saying that that should never be a part of the, you know, we have human instincts and emotions, but I think it's important to check in and be like, what part of am I, what am I saying right now or doing or motivating that is to help me and what is to uh, me to feel worthy and good? And what is, what am I doing here that's actually helping this person or seeing them? You know what I mean? Well, it's always because a good if, question to ask. If I'm the one who grabs my the tray right. and puts it down, carefully, you know, then I will get credit for being this like really skilled person who can problem solve and take the tray and put it down. But do I need to do that? Does, does it need to come down? And then there, there are other times when you see someone like what Beverly is writing in her letter, you know, she's really worried about her daughter. And like at at those times, you're just kind of like firing on, on all cylinders, you know, you're in 
perhaps panicked, especially if it's like a family member, especially if it's a child and you're just really wanting to fix. And like, you know, I think ask, I mean, this is just my first thought asking the person just like, Hey, like, what do you need? How can I be here for you? Like, what do you need for me? And then the answer to that sometimes might be, I don't know what I need. I don't know what that's, I need. Like, that's you know. often the problem. That's often the issue that, you know, often grievers do not have the capacity at that moment to tell anybody what they need. And therefore they just, um, turtle in, you know, mm, they turtle you know, in and some, often they become more alienated. From maybe other the people. best, maybe the better question is what don't you need from me? Right. Right. It's true. So asking those questions is very important. Um, but also as the griever, you know, being able to be honest and talk about what you don't need and to be able to say sometimes to somebody you love, you know, I appreciate that you're bringing me casseroles. You know, I really do. It's so lovely that you're doing that, but it doesn't help me. It's not what I really need. Maybe I just need you to just sit and be with me. And if I actually, I learned a very important lesson from my, my first teacher. Um, he was on the staff of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and I and I attribute to him so much of what I've learned in my in my career. So he told me this story. He used to work a lot with ALS patients, and he said, um, "Okay, Bobby," he said, because I was his student. He said, "So we walk into this house, and you see this patient, and they're in a room, and the blinds are closed, and they're just sitting there, and they're you know you can tell that they're very despaired and very depressed about their situation. What do you do?" So, of course, my immediate reaction was, okay, I'd go in the room and I'd open up the curtains and I'd let the light in a little bit. And I'd, you know, maybe I'd help them breathe a little bit or I'd help them, um, you know, storytell or something. He said, no, you sit with them in the dark. Right. I said, oh, (laughs) I thought that was like such an important lesson. It really is. You know, personally, I don't like being pushed when I'm like in sadness and grief I don't like being pushed at all and being pushed to feel a different way than I'm feeling makes me want to be contrarian and go in the opposite way and be like you're not going to push me to feel better now I'm going to feel fucking worse so fuck you and you know it's interesting when she's talking about bringing food over for her daughter it just made me think this thought of like is the move to just bring your own food over and sit and eat and then let someone say that looks good can I have a bite Exactly. And letting them come to exactly letting them come to you what they need. But, you know, it's very interesting because we we believe wrongly in the concept that either the person who's grieving is going to be stuck in this absolute misery just like this and doomed forever. Or they're going to triumph over the pain and transform themselves as and be better than they ever were before. But there's a lot of other things in between. There are. That's a really good point. Because we will be stuck in our pain when we're grieving forever. Not the same way. It always changes. And we may not be better than before. We'll be different, but it may not be better. So there's many, many different steps. But I guess the basic concept is, is that we grieve forever and people need to have a lot of space. Sometimes the pain is so great that they need space that's bigger than the universe. You know, I always say um, when people are grieving, it's good to be out where there's space, where there's um, the beach or because it, it gives you the feeling like you could just scream, you know, like the it, it could hold the, the, the pain. But sometimes that's not even enough. You know, the pain is so deep. So and what that means is that we need to dive into that dark darkness of the soul, the dark night of the soul. And it's very like you said, like Beverly said in the letter, she felt like she was losing her daughter because her daughter was diving into 
you know, this dark place where she had to go for her journey. It's almost epic in nature, really, right? It's it's mythical in nature. Um, it is. Journey, it is the like journey an of epic soul. journey. Yeah, 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 it really exactly. is. And it's like accepting the fact that, like, you know, there are all different kinds of grief. Like losing a home or losing a job is grief. Like, but the the thing that I think is kind of similar in like heartbreak and losing someone and you know if they pass away is that like they're just never gonna come back you're never gonna get back a human being like nothing will replace it you know what I mean like uh and that's really hard to deal with and that does require a journey and that does unfathomable right you know yeah It's unfathomable to believe that somebody's not going to come back, that they were here one minute and gone the next. And as I've said um, often, that grief is about accepting the reality of the loss. That's what it is over and over and over again. And every time you do, it's like a stab to the heart over and over again, because each time they're not coming back. Right. And I think, oh, no, go ahead. I was about to say that maybe our feelings soften and lessen, but the reality never does. The reality is stronger and harsher. Good point. I was going to say that also part of it is like the grieving, you know, uh, Beverly in this case and a lot of, you know, grieving parents or loved ones of people who have lost uh, their loved ones is is the same kind of acceptance is that like, you know, Beverly might have to accept that her grief is really, and she kind of touched on this, but about losing her, a part of her daughter, you know, you have to kind of accept that the person you loved is in a way never going to come back. You know what I mean? They're still with us. Thank thank God. But like they lost, she lost her innocence. She lost her, um, maybe her faith in, in, you know, her, you know, for her daughter. That's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. So to answer her question, I mean, she asked if we have any suggestions and I mean, since this is a show talking about food and grief and she's trying to feed her. And I mean, that's a very legitimate concern for people. And I know like, you know, food is the, one of the primary ways we like often show care for each other. And if that's being rejected, it's not only like scary, but it, like it's not only hurtful or disappointing, it's scary, right? Because we depend on food to live. So if you see someone wasting away and not eating, that can be really scary. Um, personally, oh, I, loved, like- I loved what you said. I loved what you said. It was a perfect answer. It was saying, so, hey, my lovely daughter, I just made a pot of chicken soup. And that's it. And then, and then waiting, you know. So in other words, it's not um, force feeding love. It's offering love. Actually, a beautiful quote I heard once um, from a very well-known uh, grief specialist. He came to speak at um, hospice and he was talking about children. And he was saying, we invite them to dance, but we let them lead. Which me- Which means that letting your loved one know I am here, but I'm not leading the show. I'm not leading. This is your dance. This is not mine. Mm. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, I mean, we've talked about this several times too, and I'm looking forward to, we're going to have a guest upcoming. Who's going to speak to us about film, film and food and grief. But, um, you know, we think a lot of, we talk a lot about the scene in ghost story when Rooney Mara's character eats the entire pie and people have been leaving her food and leaving her pies. And finally she just sits down with the pie and eats the entire thing until she like throws up. Um, I, 
think that's such an interesting scene and I hope that we get to talk about it more as we when we do this food and film episode but um it's almost it's like all of the things it's like she's she's saying okay you keep bringing me food fine I'll eat it you know she'd been defiant then she was accepting then she was like re-being defiant again by eating the entire thing and like then becoming ill you know it's just the gamut of emotion and I in that one scene very long scene of pie eating which was pretty powerful and for those of you that haven't seen it the look on her face as she's eating the pie is that you you really see the depth of her pain and in a way i agree with you she's saying okay i'm going to eat this pie because you brought it here so i'm going to finally eat it but then you see her it's almost like all the pie is going on top of the grief it's like sitting on top of the grief and that doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right and that's, it's similar to when people drink or overeat or do other addictive behaviors when they're in pain. It doesn't really work. Pain needs space. It doesn't need to be crushed. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be crushed by people in our lives that, that want us to cheer up. And it doesn't need to be crushed by overdoing anything, you know? Yeah. There's um a passage, there's a chapter maybe, or definitely at least a couple pages that Joan Didion writes in the year of magical thinking, when she talks about after her husband died and her friend just brought her congee because it was soft and warm and that's what she wanted and needed. And, you know, I think that, um, I think that it's just like, it's this very delicate balance because it's a trust in knowing that the other, the person who's grieving is going to be able to tiptoe close to the edge, but not go over. And you have to let them tiptoe close to the edge, but it is scary because you also, because people can go over. That's a perfect way of putting it. It's finding that balance of like, as the concerned third party of being like, this person has to do this. They have to walk very close to the edge. And I definitely want to be aware that I might need to grab their shirt if they teeter over but like I can't keep them roped back here you know what I mean like and beautiful image perfect metaphor yeah yeah so I can be the safety net you know I can be the um I remember when our dear friend Kathy who we've had on the show when she had all her losses and her husband died, Michael died, and she had all those losses uh, accumulative. Um, and I felt like I was a guard. And I was mm. just kind of like, that was my job. I had to step back, but watch. And I was just noticing and watching. And it was it was safety. I was providing safety so well, that she, yeah. she could free flow, you know, free fall. It's like walking someone home, but like, like trailing behind them by like 100 feet or something. But you like don't let them out of your sight. Exactly. And I want to go back to one other point to Beverly that um, I've mentioned before on the show when we talk about bereaved parents, that part of what happens when you're grieving for your child, whether you've lost a child or whether you're grieving for the child who's grieving, is that you feel so powerless. You, you absolutely feel powerless. And sometimes in powerlessness, we end up feeling guilt and we feel guilty that we should do more and I should be able to do this and I should be able to fix this. But so I guess what I'd say to Beverly is to also to feel her powerlessness, you know, to let her feel it, you know, to be conscious of it and aware of it and not try to fix her powerlessness either. Yeah. And to be aware that like Beverly, your worth as a person will not come from your ability to 
fix this or not fix this because fix isn't even the right word to use. It's not fixable. It's a healing process that you can facilitate in by being a, a good support, but like it's not up to you to make it better. You know what I mean? And like just continuing to remember that, that like that doesn't prove or disprove your worth as a person. Because I think like remembering that and really touching base with like your own, you know, goals and your own feelings surrounding this of self-worth is important so you're not projecting because then the projection adds another level of stress and pain to the grieving person and so if the griever feels like well now not only am I grieving the loss of like whatever of the loved one of it's like also like well I have to be responsible for my parent or my friend not who's so worried about me right right you have to understand that like adding that pressure on someone who's in grief is not fair that is not fair excellent point which which one another thing i'd say to beverly and i've had many uh clients reach out to me because somebody they love is grieving so another point would be for her to talk to somebody because the the projection when you talk about projection we see things through our own experience. Um, I have a, a little sculpture in my office and it's from the Talmud and it says, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. So I think what you mean by projection is that we often are projecting our own feelings onto the other, our own interpretation of loss, our own history of loss. That may not even be what what the loved one is feeling. Right. So I think it's really helpful to be aware of your own feelings when you're going through something, um, when somebody you love is grieving and maybe doing that by seeing a therapist or self-searching. That's great advice. It's a beautiful letter. I'm so glad she reached out. Yeah. Thank you, Beverly. Really like, and we are sending you love and support and, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I love the title of that book. Like what it's okay to not be okay. Mm hmm. Yep. And I think that's just a really important... And who wrote the book? I'm sorry. I should have mentioned that before. Megan Devine. Okay, great. Um, Sounds great. I would love to read it. And I think that that's just a really important point to remember, too, as the griever and and the loved one of a griever is that, like, this is normal. (laughs) It's normal to feel fucked up when you're in grief. It's normal to feel fucked up for a long time or forever in some way. Like my dad was 70 years old when he died. He was sick for 10 years before that. It's not a tragedy. You know what I mean? It's not a shocking, out of the blue, tragic death. Um, We were really, really close. And I think about it every day still, you know? And some days I listen to old voicemails and some days I cry about it a lot. And some days I laugh about certain things that happened. I'm writing a short film about it right now. Like I have a really complicated and this happened almost three years ago. And like, so there's a lot of loss that is more traumatic than that. And exactly. You're and Megan not had gonna, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't want to deal with the inconvenient truths of life often. You know what I mean? Climate change, <laughs> the, the coronavirus, like there are all kinds of things that, but you know, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm serious. Like that, it's a lot easier not to deal with inconvenient truth. And the fact that grief kind of lasts forever a lot of times is an inconvenient truth, but it is it is a truth. And I think once we accept that, we like eliminate a part of the process that can be difficult, which is 
the denial part or thinking that it's weird to feel that way. I think if we're just like all on the same page, like you might feel, you might feel shitty about this forever. It's less jarring when it happens. You're not going to be like, why do I still feel shitty about this? Because, because that's what happens. Because well, I love life. one of the things Megan said, and, and I should come and go back a bit. She had a traumatic loss. Her husband drowned and he was oh. with her. Oh, God. So there's a whole other element, which we've talked about on the show, where trauma becomes the element. Like you said, with your dad, it, was, it wasn't it was a traumatic loss. It was a, a terrible loss, but it wasn't a traumatic yeah. loss. And there's a difference because when we have trauma in our system, um, we it's everything is exaggerated, you know. So one of the things she said is that, you know, you feel crazy. You're not crazy. Mm. So that's kind of what you're saying, too. And what is crazy anyway? Yeah, exactly. So let's let's end on that note. What is crazy anyway? <laughs> well, Bobby, another wonderful episode. It's always nice to connect with you and kind of, I mean, it's just great, obviously, having guests, but I do look forward to these episodes and being able to kind of dig in deep and you're so wise and your perspective is so wonderful. And as everyone always says when they talk to me about the show or anyone who's a listener and they're like, oh, Bobby is the best or I feel like she's my mom and she's the cutest. I'm like, I know, I know she's the best. So it's great to be able to like have more time when you can. And I am always, every episode that we do, I am increasingly amazed and astounded by your uh, depth and your ability to express that. You're a very good communicator and it's such an uh, asset to have you work together with you. I think you do a wonderful job. Oh, thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. But really, it's you. No, I'm just kidding. Let's just keep complimenting each other for the next 15 minutes of the show, shall we? I feel like that's what America really wants to hear. Um, right, no, it was guys, great. Be, be safe out there. And yeah. I don't know if any of you, I don't know when, when this show will be aired, but I don't imagine that what we're experiencing right now is going to end very soon. But um, take care of yourselves. This is a really unbelievably uh, pre- pressure cooker that we're all in. And I think sometimes we get used to it, you know, but yeah. um, it is really profound time. It really it is. Really and is. So That's everybody take care of yourselves. Yeah. The normalization of the uh, bizarreness that is happening at this current time is, you know, but then you do feel it creep up on you. And again, to just reiterate, like uh, this is this is a difficult time. And we mentioned this on several different episodes, but can never be mentioned enough. Uh we are huge advocates, obviously, of mental health awareness and of uh, therapy, of all different varieties, of anything you need to do to support your mental health. Um, if you're feeling despaired and suicidal, there's always the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, speaking with counselors, there's so many great resources now that are kind of like telehealth style um, psychotherapy right right absolutely and emergency hotlines in every community emergency hotlines and you know with the same thing with we were talking about with being in grief like it's normal to feel really weird right now and you know take care of yourselves and reach out for help if you feel like you need it and if you see babka anywhere around try it it's a very healing food yes obviously (laughs) shove your pack your face full of babka that's the other recommendation (laughs) phone a friend and then pack your face full of babka all right bobby Um, love you have a wonderful rest of your day guys take care hang in there thanks for listening bye
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.